0: Knowledge and understanding is a mystery in life, but it can have what we call a fraudulent mindset that takes away from truly knowing God. Do you know that person that always thinks about they need to know everything or they do know everything and how that brings them to a place of disappointment? As we've opened up our Bible in the book of Ecclesiastes, we see the author talk about spending many difficult days and sleepless nights trying to gain wisdom, knowledge, and understanding about things of this world. And we know it's vanity of vanities. It's vanity, vanity, vanity. It's meaningless. So today, as we open up our Bible today and we continue in this vanity, vanity sermon series, we're going to look at. Ecclesiastes eight at the end and the beginning of nine. And we're going to talk about the mysteries of life in the eyes of death, but let's begin on the last two verses in eight and see how wisdom kind of brings us to a place of understanding about death in the eyes of uh, life in the eyes of death. Here's what it says. It says this in my search for wisdom, in my observation of people's burdens here on earth, I discovered that there is ceaseless activity day and night. I realized that no one can discover everything that God is doing under the sun. Not even the wisest people discover everything, no matter what they claim. That references the first chapter, 13 and 14, and it's been a theme throughout. We search and we seek day and night for things and we really never get a complete understanding or great knowledge. You know, we, the thing that's been on my heart for the last couple of weeks is the Bible is used as a tool to help us understand, understand God, know what's good and what's wrong, to equip us to do the right thing even when we want to do the wrong thing. That comes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, and today there's no difference. We're in the middle of the Bible, And God is going to use this text. And over the last few weeks, the text has got a little bit sketchy, a little bit weird. At our community group, we were chuckling how dark it went. But at the end, we know that God is using this to equip us, to teach us. There's a message here that we need to grow from. And I think there's no better message than today than understanding the mysteries of life through the eyes of death. So let's just pray and ask God to use this time so that we can grow and become obedient to Christ. Father, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for who you are. Lord, use these words. Open up our heart. Holy Spirit, mold us and shape us to be closer to your image. Help us to be more obedient. We love you, King Jesus. Amen, amen, and amen. You know, humans, we can solve puzzles and problems. We can solve maybe uh, some virus issues, or maybe we can't. We can understand gravity. We can understand DNA until new information comes. We can understand a lot of things, but over time, it changes, But can we really understand this world? Do you really understand life? And can we really grasp the concept of God? A God as we understand him. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. There's a mystery to this life. There's a mystery to this world. And God still has stuff that we quite don't understand. There's a guy named Will Durant. You've uh, probably known him and heard about him. He's been a historian and uh, pretty famous in the 20th century. And he says, our knowledge is a receding mirage in an expanding desert of ignorance. We get to a place and what was right 50 years ago is is wrong or different when we get new information. We come to a point where it's just a mirage in this expanding desert of ignorance. We set our minds on society and in science and education and politics on a certain set of principles But over time, we get new information, and it changes. You know what? Because we don't understand everything, that doesn't mean we can still do stupid things. No, we need to do the right thing, do the best thing for the kingdom of God. I don't think that's what it says, and I don't think that's what Ecclesiastes is drawing us to either. In the Hebrew Bible, the Torah, uh, there's this great point about God and who he is. And in our Bible, it's in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 29, verse 29. Here's what it says. And I I love what it says. This is what Moses writes. He says, the Lord, our God has secrets known to no one. He's got stuff that we are never to know. But he does, uh, it says, and we are not accountable for them. And But we and our children are accountable forever for all that has been revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. God doesn't expect us to know the unknowable. So why are we so focused on that? Why are we so interested in when he's coming back and exploring and understanding revelation and end times and all these scientific things, there are certain things that are just going to be unknowable. And that's got to be okay. But he does want us to learn. He does want us to share. At one point, you and I were touched by God or are going to be touched by God. And we are to share that with our children and our family. And we are to remember that and give it away from now until we meet him in heaven. And as we obey those things, we grow in those things. The more that we learn The more that we understand but it all comes from obedience i believe the church is about obedience i believe my life and the way that i see god comes through obedience it doesn't always mean i accept and understand and want to follow that path it's just saying this is what i'm supposed to do this is what god has called us to do let's do the right thing even when it seems awkward wrong or not understanding there 's this place in john seven seventeen that I really think helps us uh, in this time of understanding and discovering wisdom and knowledge. It says this in essence: the more that we obey, the more that we learn and that 's really been true for my life. Early on in my faith, I just was obedient and i didn 't understand much, and people came around young and old to shape and inform me and the more that I was obedient the more I understood and 20 years later you look back and you see wow things are completely different and the obedience really set me in the right place but all of it comes down to confessing our ignorance do you like to confess that you don't know what you're talking about or that you're ignorant I remember in my recovery that I was told at the beginning that I needed to dummy down to really get the program we try and figure out things and understand things and perfect things. And the truth is, all we need to understand is, I don't really know. I need to dummy down and watch God do his work. Uh, in my devotion on Friday, I was going through chapter 8 in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 8. And here's what it says, and I love this verse. It says, anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know much. That makes me feel so good because I don't always consider myself the most intelligent guy in the room. And when I read this a long time ago and still today, it gives me peace because I realize that it's not about knowing everything. The, the day that I realize I know nothing is when I know a lot. That's the concept. But the, here's the second part. The person who loves God is whom God recognizes. It's not about knowledge, discovery, wisdom, and all of that. It's just the heart of loving God whom he recognizes. He looks down upon this earth and he's looking for that person or that group or that church that really loves him. The Ecclesiastes author is trying to attack this mindset that was happening back then in ancient history, and it's still attacking us today. And it's this twofold thing, wisdom and this life under the sun, this anti-God atheism mindset. He's trying to attack this idea that if you're smart and you do good and we don't really sin, so to speak, that your life is going to be full of money, wealth, material things. And in that you will be peaceful and joyful. And what our author is saying is wisdom is good, but it can't explain everything. And it's not going to bring you all the peace and the wisdom and the money and the knowledge that makes life what it really is. It says wisdom, it's good, but it can't explain all the mysteries or solve those solutions. Wisdom is helpful, but it's not ultimate. Wisdom and discovery never really end in this life. And so it really can't be a solution to life or to this world or, to, or even to God. One of the non-mysteries in life, I don't think we like this, is that death is certain. Do you remember that Benjamin Franklin quote that says, in this world, nothing can be Uh, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. We're right upon tax season. And some of us, like myself, are paying a pretty good tax check. And I'm also one day going to die. Death and taxes are certain. As we start in chapter 9, we're going to see he's going to talk about death is for all. Death comes for all. But I don't really think it's just about death. And maybe it's not about death at all. I think it's about life. I think the author would tell us that life is uncertain and death is certain. And from that, the mysteries of life through the eyes of death should be answered or can be answered as we dig into God's word. I don't know about you, but I think people hate death. I, I'm growing in a different place. I don't necessarily hate it, but I know that as I've gone into homes recently in the last couple of weeks where someone has died. We don't even want to talk about that term, that term he died or death or dead. We talk about other terms. Oh, they've passed, they've left, they've gone. They're in heaven. We deny the reality of dead, death, or they've died. We, we are afraid of that reality. But the thing that is certain is death comes to all. We're all marching down that path towards death. But I believe Americanism has gotten in the way of our relationship. What does your, uh, your social media look like? What does your uh, Netflix account look like? What does your streaming stuff look like? I'm sure if you're like most of us, there's a lot of death and destruction. And that media has gotten in the middle of our lives and it's separating us from truly experiencing death the way we're supposed to. It's glorified, and some shows you'll see five or six deaths and not even think about it. But when death comes to us, we're blown away. But death is certain. We spend most of our days longing for more and worrying about dying, and I think the text in chapter 9 helps us explore why death is certain, life is unexpected, but we see life in a different lens, and it helps us understand that experience. Here's what it says In uh, chapter nine, verse one, it says this too, I carefully explored, even though the actions of the godly and the wise people are in God's hands, no one knows whether God will show them favor. It's an interesting place. The world is unfair, isn't it? And this is the great mystery. This is the mystery of life. This world just seems like there's so much unfairness and we need to learn to deal with it. And I believe through the wisdom of Solomon, as the author is trying to depict that in this book, Ecclesiastes, we come to two great conclusions. Number one, and they might be grave, not great. Death is unavoidable and life is unpredictable. He says that he searched the world upside down and sideways and every which way, sleepless nights throughout the day. And he finds that all of life ends the same. It's in God's hands. Life and death, it's God's plan. It's not your plan. He decides he's the one that makes that determination. He has a plan. We never really understand death until we truly understand God. The closer I get to God, the better I understand death and the more accepting I am to death. Listen to this. Death is not an accident. Death is an appointment. It's an appointment to come to the throne and all of us one day will come to that throne and we have an appointment. It just depends on how that appointment's gonna go. Pass or fail, the good or the bad or you're separated. There's an opportunity for us to come to that appointment and experience the true glory of God and the true essence of life. Here's what verse two says. The same destiny ultimately awaits everyone, whether righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonially clean or unclean, religious or irreligious, good people receive the same treatments as sinners and people who make promises to God are treated like people who don't. Wow, that's meaningless. That's the vanities of vanity. The good are treated like the bad, the religious like the irreligious. Everybody comes to the same point. And I believe Ecclesiastes is saying this one thing, that death is the great leveler. It levels all the playing fields. The rich are going to die, the poor are going to die. The smart are going to die, the dumb are going to die. Those that have a lot are going to die and those that have a little. And they're all going to end the same exact way and they're going to take the same exact nothing. They're going to leave as they came into this world with nothing. Life and death, they don't plan very well. Have you tried to plan them out? I have this friend of mine. She's planned out her life. I don't really want to tell you exactly who she is. I've already kind of told you she's a girl. But she's Jeremy's sister. And, uh, you know, we call her Mad Dog. That kind of gives you a little bit of a hint. But I've known her since she was a little 13-year-old squirrely junior high person. And I remember her showing me her books at 14, 15, 16 about how her life was planned out and how it was going to be the picket fence and the dog and the mom SUV and the kids. And the truth is, she's doing pretty well on that path. But if you talk to her today, her life has been a lot different. There's a lot of uncertainties and a lot of things that have happened, a lot of bumps and bruises and a lot of amazing successes. But as we plan life and as we think about death, it doesn't always plan the way that we plan it. And you can see that come countless times in the lives around us. We're all going to die. And if we're a believer, we have something to look forward to, this afterlife that, that is something that we can plan on. And we can plan on that and experience that today at the end of the message. But life has all these unfairness things happen all over it. And the question then becomes why? And the answer must be, there's got to be something more to life. In the next few verses, the author gives us three things that deal with. There's this idea of escaping. There's this idea of enduring. And then there's this last one of enjoyment. And it kind of unlocks some of the mysteries of life. Here's what it says in verse three. It seems so wrong that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. Already twisted by evil, people choose their own mad course. That's the escape. For they have no hope. For there is nothing ahead but death anyway. There's one fate for all, and we're all heading down that crazy train. And it's going to end the same. We're all going to die. God seems so unfair, doesn't he? The evil prevail, the wicked have all the money and uh, all the toys and we, those righteous ones, we just seem to be missing out on all the fun. The mess of this world though is not because of God and and, and a God who doesn't care. This mess of the world is because of men and a man that did rebel, rebelled against God and his plan because we had this hunger and idea and thought of wisdom and knowledge. The fact of death and the fear of death brings us to a place of being our best or being our worst. The fact of death can bring out the best, but the fear of death can also bring out our worst. Do you realize that death doesn't create problems? It exposes problems. It doesn't create them. It exposes them. You see a family in shambles after the death and they they had problems before the death, but it's only exposed that they never dealt with certain things. Death reveals the true heart of a person. I see it so many times. I have a really good friend of mine that um, his dad died several years ago. And he asked me to do this service. And he says, I'm sorry, we're going to do this service. But he's like, there's only a few people that are going to be there. And the truth is, they're not going to want to hear you say much because the only people that are going to come are the people that are going to get a check. And I said, they'll only get their inheritance money if they come to the funeral. It was one of the saddest funerals I ever did. There was nine people. And my friend brought four, him, his wife, and his two kids. And then there were three other kids there with a grandkid and there was nine people. And honestly, it took about 12 minutes because nobody wanted to talk. Nobody wanted me to speak. I I saw the wrap it up uh, thing a couple of times and it exposed the true heart. These people weren't there to celebrate their dad's life who lived to be 89 years old. They were there to get the money and get out of there. It reveals the heart of people. We'll do anything to escape the reality of death, won't we? The only thing we won't do is repent. Why is that? That just seems hilarious. My life has been about repenting because I've made so many mistakes and all I want to do is get it right. And I I want to go to my family and my friends and, and the people at church and I want to say, please forgive me. I want to turn and be better. But most of us, we just want to escape and do anything but repent. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the, the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of those that die. And it's a beautiful place for us to understand. It's got a lot of text, but in the middle of it, it says this, that Christians have to come to this last enemy of death to, that needs to be destroyed. There's this last enemy to be destroyed, and it's death. We need to learn that there's an enemy out there called death, and for Christians, it be, needs to be destroyed. You ever heard the saying life is like a journey? Well, I believe death is like a journey, and I believe that's what we see in this text today, that death is a journey to be faced, or it's going to destroy us. It's got to be an enemy that we don't fear, because as Christians know, death has no sting, and we're going to celebrate Easter Sunday in just a couple weeks, and the grave is not to be, uh, uh, to be feared, it's to be celebrated. If we truly knew what we were heading for, it would be a celebration. It would be the happiest day of people's lives. But today, since we fear death, we don't, we don't let it become destroyed. We, we sit in it and we try to escape it. Escape is never God's plan. Have you ever seen the Bible? Those that try and escape can't really escape from God's hand. The next few verses talk about endurance. And I think this is, a, uh, this is something that Christians can do well and should do well, this long-suffering, this patience, endure, patient endurance. Here's what it says in verse 4. There is hope only for the living. As they say, it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. Not everybody wants to escape life. There's some of us that want to kind of just grit our teeth, grind it out, and bear whatever life has. We live life on life's terms. We trudge this road of happy destiny heading towards destruction, heading towards death. But some of us have an opportunity to be launched into a new life. A couple of months ago, I was talking about Cicero, and there's this mindset, this motto in life about 300 B.C., and it lasted all the way past the, uh, the 100 years uh, beyond Christ. And here's what it says. Where there is life, there is hope. This was one of those philosophical mindsets that they used as a motto. We had it a couple years ago. You only live once. They had this as a motto for many, uh, many generations. Where there is life, there is hope to endure this last part. It says it's better to live like a live dog than a dead lion. This is a a Jewish thing called Hetzar Hara, which is the evil uh, The Jews call an evil impulse. It's Yetzar Hara. And the Hebrews would say in this little saying that there's two dogs living in each person. There's maybe a good dog and an evil dog, the bad and uh, and the righteous. They're living in this, this person. You each got two dogs. And whatever one you feed is the one that grows. That's a a great picture for us. Which one are you feeding? Are you feeding the one that's going to make you uh, righteous and close to God? Or are you feeding the other one that's creating separation between you and God? Here's what verse 5 says. The living at least know they will die. But the dead know nothing. It's over. They have nothing else to learn. They have no further reward No, nor are they remembered. Whatever they did in their lifetime, loving, hating, envying, it's all long gone. They are no longer playing a part in anything on earth. One day, you and I are on this journey to death. And we shouldn't fear that if you believe. All of us are going to die. And the teacher, the preacher, the author says that life can be uh, expanded or experienced differently when we understand death. And he gives us a couple of things here. If you're dead, you can't change anything else on earth is what he's saying. He says, if you're dead, you can't grow anymore. He says, if you're dead, you can't change your reputation. But if you're still alive and you're listening to this message or you're here on this earth, you can change your reputation. You can grow closer to God. You can do different things in your life. And you can have new and different experiences. If you're dead, there's nothing that you can do. I believe Solomon is saying, seize the opportunity. Carpe diem. Live your best life in Christ. You know that little corny saying, life is a gift. It's the present. That's why we call it a present. We don't worry about tomorrow. We don't worry about the future we live in the presence. It's a gift, and our job is to experience it and seize the opportunities of the day and endure each and everything living your best life in Christ. This is the mystery, and it, solves, it is solved by Christ for Christians. Those that don't know God, those that don't believe in Jesus, they have another, uh, another option, but it's not very glamorous. And it ultimately shows, and I think this is what the book really teaches us. There is a need for a savior. This world has a need for a savior. Otherwise, it's meaningless. This world has a need for a day of judgment or redemption. Otherwise, this world is meaningless. This world has a need for an eternal life, an afterlife, a different life beyond this life, or this life is meaningless. I believe that's really what's said. Otherwise, The strong win, the weak lose, the rich succeed, the poor are failures, the wicked are better and have more fun, and the righteous, they're just ridiculous. They're fools because they're believing in this false hope. That's what the world says, but we know different. That brings us to the enjoyment part. This is my favorite part because I love to enjoy life. And this enjoyment you're going to see is not apart from God. No, it's living life to enjoy life for the glory of God. Whatever you do, however much you have or however little you have, you are to enjoy life. So here's what it says in verse seven. So go ahead, eat your food with joy. Drink your wine with a happy heart for God approves of this. Every so often, every 17th or 30 verse or every other chapter, God shows himself and God approves of this. Wear fine clothes with a splash of perfume. Now, verse eight isn't translated, I don't think, very well. The 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 Hebrew actually would say something different about light clothes and an oiled face or oil. And really what they were signifying was this was festival attire. If you were going to the Passover or the festivals of shelter or Yom Kippur, you would put on this sunday go to meet and clothes that your best sunday does and you would put some cologne on or splash some oil on your face and you would go like you were celebrating and what they're saying here is live your life like every day is going to celebration oil up put some cologne on look your best and take the opportunity to live your life we are really not to sit and brood, to sit in our crap so to speak we're to live our life even though we're heading towards death yeah We're heading towards death. So what are we going to do? Just sit in it? Or are we going to live our life for the glory of God? James seven one seventeen says, Every good gift comes from above. So shouldn't we use those good gifts and enjoy every part of life? I know it sounds so cliche, but it doesn't mean it's wrong just because it's so cliche. It just means it's hard to do. As I was looking at this text in, in, in verse seven and eight, the enjoyment theme of Ecclesiastes occurs seven times up to this point, twice in chapter one, a couple times in chapter two, chapter three, last week, Jeremy at the end of chapter five, 18 to 20, it comes in this text and you're gonna see once in chapter 11, so seven or eight times he's talking about this joy, but this joy that God approves. God is ultimately gonna judge us. God is sending us a savior so that judgment for those that believe will make us uh, uh, right with God and give us that pass into heaven. And it solves the mystery of unfairness. I think that's what we're all looking for. If it's that simple, then we should all cling to God and run to the savior and let the Holy Spirit lead us into a life that seems unfair but ultimately will bring glory to God. Here's what verse nine says. Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless lays of life that God has given you under the sun. And if you're a, you know, you could put man there if you want. The wife God gives you as a reward for your earthly toil. Man, is your marriage a reward to you? If it's not, maybe you should try something new maybe you should put god in the middle here's what verse 10 says whatever you do do it well for when you go to the grave maybe your translation says sheol there will be no work no planning no knowledge or wisdom this last verse in in and uh the nlt doesn't do a great justice for this and there's so much that can kind of get us off the track here but if yours says Sheol, the Old Testament Sheol is kind of like the New Testament uh, Hades. And the Hebrews believe there was two parts to Sheol, the righteous side and the unrighteous side. And th- they would say at some point the righteous side was considered paradise. And it really makes a lot of sense when you see Jesus say to the, the criminal, today you'll be in paradise. And that's to the Jews, it meant a lot. So without getting too sidetracked on that, if you want to know more about that, you can email Jeremy. He'd love to talk to you. It's Jeremy at Journey the Church. He loves crazy questions. As we talk about the enjoyment, here's the mystery solved for me. This is it for me. Here's how we enjoy life. There's really four parts. Let me talk about them. Number one is meals. You know how many times we break bread throughout the day? Some of us is just a cup of coffee and a donut or... A scone on the way to work but that's an opportunity meals are an opportunity here's what he says eat your food with joy and drink your wine for me i'm not drinking wine but i'm drinking tea with a happy heart because god approves of this you know the best part of my week the best part of my week hands down is the meal after church with my family i don't know why And we don't talk about church. We don't pat Jeff on the back or how great church was. We just sit and eat and we celebrate what happened last week and we prepare for the following week. And it's really my best part of of my life every week. And meals should be. Our family's doing more meals together because it's really what brings us together. And here he's saying how to enjoy life is to eat, drink, be merry, but do it for the glory of God. The second part was verse eight talks about enjoying every occasion. Life is so short. And I've had multiple deaths in the last couple of weeks. A guy that was 30 and another guy that uh, my buddy Willem who finished strong and, and worked all the way up to the end. But life is short and aren't our opportunities limited? And I think we kind of blow off so many great things in life and we miss out so many godly things and spiritual experiences. And we, we the text is telling us when we die, we're never going to be able to go back and work anymore, plan anymore, grow anymore, have more wisdom, and get closer to God. When it's over, it's over. And you get what you get. Enjoy every occasion. Verse 9, marriage. Marriage is a gift. And you know what? If your marriage is in a gift, you need to reach out and seek some help. Get counseling, reach out to your pastoral staff, tell someone that you need help and try and put God deep within that relationship. Use your marriage to glorify God. Don't abuse it and don't take it for granted. It might not always be there. Last one is talking about do well Whatever you do, do well. Reminds me of Colossians 3, 23, something that's etched in my heart. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you're working for the Lord, not for human masters. How often am I doing things for human masters versus the Lord? I've got to grow in this and I'm sure you do as well. Let's let's work and do whatever we can for the glory of God. All we do, is we live and die for the glory of God. We're living, we're thriving, we're surviving or we're dying and we're doing it all for him. And that's really what I believe this this chapter is teaching us. My attitude for the simple things in life really show the evidence of God in my life than health or wealth, longevity or prosperity. Think about that. How I deal with the simple things and how I am so excited to have lunch with my family on a Sunday afternoon really shows the evidence of God in my life versus the property or the cars or the longevity or the body that I have that really doesn't show life at all. And it doesn't show God. Keep it simple, stupid. Keep it simple. Life is simple and use every opportunity to grow your family, to grow your faith, And to get closer to the people around you, pushing them towards God. Keep it simple. It's a great testimony to God. I love verse 11. It it, it really, it really hits home for us. It says, I have observed something else under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race. The strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always live successful lives. And it's all decided by chance and being in the right place at the right time. One of the things that I do know is timing is everything. And I really believe God has his own time. And when we're in his spirit and close to his will, and when we're trying to be obedient to him, his timing works out and it really becomes something of a blessing to so many different people and to those that are living for the glory of God. If not, then it's all meaningless. This world is all meaningless. The best team doesn't always win the Super Bowl and the the, the fastest team doesn't always win the race. Life doesn't go as planned because it's unpredictable. Death is certain, but life is uncertain. Here's more evidence that man doesn't really understand what God is doing. We really don't see God in every part of our life and because of that, We kind of run from God and we don't find purpose from God. We'll never figure out what God is truly doing until we meet him in heaven. So all we can do is enjoy what he's doing and share it with other people. The good times and the bad times, the the sickness and in health times, the times with plenty and the times with less. We do it and we find purpose and meaning in this life as we're heading towards death. God's sovereign hand is upon us. And I have a different view of that. I don't think God is in control of every breath. I think he can be, but I think his hand is upon us and he's given us free will and this opportunity to live our life. And he wants us to grow through those opportunities. And that's why a book like this really speaks to us as we're getting closer to Easter, as we're heading through this new stage in the pandemic. There's all kinds of options that can happen. The righteous will suffer. The wicked will prosper. And in the end, the mystery of God should only have one conclusion. He redefines life and death through Jesus Christ. And FYI, this isn't the end of the book. Look at how much is left. This chapter is in the middle of my Bible and there's so much left to go. And the truth is, if you cheat and go to the end, I know who wins, and I'm sure you do too. This is just one part to teach us to grow and understand what God is doing. Here's this last part, verse 12. People can never predict when hard times come, like fish in a net or birds in a trap or people caught by sudden tragedy. Isn't that life? How often we are derailed by things. Life is so unpredictable. The mystery of life can be seen as we look at death. Life has so many random mysteries, accidents, diseases, disasters, and chaos. None of them are easy to explain. As a pastor, you try and explain them the best that you can. Why a child dies, why someone gets cancer, you know why someone was murdered, why these things happen. And the truth is there's not a great example or solution except God is God and he does what he wants and somehow, some way he is going to use it for the glory of his purposes. That's all we can really say at the end. And then we point them to the one true answer, which is Jesus Christ. He is the reason that we can experience life here and an afterlife there with him. Mark chapter 12, verse 27 says we have a God that's the God of the living, not a God of the dead. And he's trying to teach us about life, even as we are heading towards death. In this world, if you don't know God, this is your best life. In this world for a a believer, this is just a, a, a stepping stone to a better life. There's so much better ahead for those that call Jesus Lord. He is the God of the living. And he creates life through death because he's destroyed that last enemy. The mysteries of life in the eyes of death is Christ shows us value in this life and he gives us a purpose in this life and we get greater rewards in heaven. Not because of what we do on this life, but because what we do on this life. It's not a, 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 a quid pro quo. It's just doing our best things here so that we can glorify God. And in the end, God brings value and we receive some of that on earth. This has been a crazy book. We're down to one more chapter, but I believe it's helped us uncover uncover the vanity of vanities. It's all meaningless unless we put Christ in the middle and he then shows us our value. I'm so grateful that you've joined us today. As we close out, just bow your heads, ask God to speak and work in you. Use this to to expand your understanding of obedience and and, and, um, righteousness of God. So let's pray. Father, we love you. And we're so grateful for these crazy words in this crazy book, because I know that it stretches us and it challenges us. And that's what we need to really get to that place that you want us to be. Sometimes these words hit us pretty hard, but we know in that you grow us and and in you mold us to make us more like you. Father, if someone's tuned in today and they're watching this and they don't know you or they need value or a purpose in this meaningless world, all they have to do is claim you as Lord and Savior. And if that's you right now, will you just take a second and ask God into your heart? It's a simple prayer. That makes you right with God. And it goes like this. Just repeat it with me. Father forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul. And be my Lord and Savior. In your death. In your resurrection. I get right with God. And I thank you for that. Come into my heart right now Lord. Holy Spirit lead me and guide me. All the days of my life on this earth so that I can be obedient to you and I can follow you and I can bring other people with me. We love you, Lord, and we praise you and we thank you for what you do. It's because of your son that we live. We thank you for this life. Amen, amen, and amen.